the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. At a bullfight, there is a palpable twinge to the air. The moment the bull loses its mind, it first stands there. It's lured by the red cape. The bull stomps, howls, shakes his head, prepares to charge. Then it howls again, chuffs, and then charges full bore. And that's what takes your breath away, sprinting at the red like a steam engine that just can't be stopped, only to have the red yanked away at the last second if you're lucky. Let me take you to Barnstable, Massachusetts. This was the scene. It was at a red light. A man and his girlfriend waiting patiently at a red light when all of a sudden a bull emerged. It was in the form of a 25-year-old woman in a gray Honda Civic. The man and his girlfriend heard banshee-like screaming and got out of the car, thinking the 25-year-old woman was trying to tell them something was wrong with their car. No, she was blinded like the bull by the red. She was livid. She was in the, she was in the throes and tosses of a bull's rage, fixated on the red cape that was on the back of their car. A Trump bumper sticker. She said, you voted for Trump. He said, yeah, yeah, I did. She called me a racist and all kinds of other names. Well, that did it. Apparently, the woman reared her car, chuffed, howled, and then charged at the man's car. Man has it all on video. She bent my door. I had to lean back to avoid getting hit. She also hit the side of my car. Then with the smoke lingering in the air, the woman raged off, howling and screaming. Apparently she was easy to spot, even easier to throw in jail. My question is, I'm wondering if CNN is covering this story today. I'm wondering if CNN, uh, you know, because they're all very, very upset about the possible violence that the president is churning. I'm wondering if CNN has a moment of their day to report this story and say, gee, let's make sure we're not revving people up. Where did this woman get her violent tendency? Or CNN, is it okay for her to do it? And you hold no responsibility. It's Thursday, August 2nd. This is the Glenn Beck mm. Program. Holy cow. Welcome to the program. So glad you're here. I boo, cannot take, I cannot take the uh, CNN uh, stuff anymore. I just can't. I can't. You know, CNN really blew its chance. A few years ago, CNN had an opportunity. They weren't MSNBC. And they were still left, but they weren't crazy, crazy left all the time. But they were still left. They were still Clinton. You know what I mean? But they weren't socialists. And they weren't crazy all the time. When the, when the election happened, I know a lot of people said from, from, uh, that were watching you know, MSNBC. I can't watch MSNBC anymore. 
and they went to to went to CNN. And then some people said, I can't watch Fox anymore. They went to CNN. But CNN quickly lost their mind. Did you see the latest poll? Jonathan Turley just did an article on the latest poll. Do, do you know where the most trusted name in news is now in the top 10 of, of trusted names of news? Yeah, most. No. No. no? Well, if you count number nine most. Nine yes. out of 10? Number nine <laughs> out of 10. This, of nine. course, begs the question, who was number 10? Uh, it was um, Sinclair. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're down to Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one was the BBC. Number two was Fox. Number three was NPR. So you immediately, I saw people online, because I posted this last night on Twitter, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, that's just a bunch of crazy nut job, right-wing people that were pulled. Really? BBC was number one. NPR or PBS was number three. I don't think so. Shows our faith in government institutions to tell us the truth, though, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. BBC and NPR yeah. are at the top of the list. But I, I would actually go for the BBC more than I would go for an American news source. I trust the foreign news sources a little more than I do uh, American news sources. You big Al Jazeera guy like well, yeah. Hillary? That's, yeah. uh, that's no, called. I mean, I just it, it, only because we saw this during Barack Obama. They were willing to say it. Everybody here was not willing to go anywhere and say anything or do any kind of real reporting. And remember, all of the real reporting on Barack Obama happened overseas. Yeah, a lot of that was. The other part of that that's interesting is they don't have the same um, the, the feeling of hesitation to say something about Barack Obama. For example, like they like universal health care single-payer health care right. so they don't feel the need to defend barack obama wow he said that a long time ago he doesn't mean that anymore don't worry he just you can keep your doctor they don't feel that need right right like right. because they're already down that road and they think right. that's a good thing right so they're saying to say well he actually wants those things which of course was true but it was just denied <laughs> no, by everyone here no it was not Stu. no he was not for any kind of socialism at all that you're a racist for even thinking that <laughs> isn't it isn't it absolutely incredible how socialism now all of a sudden I when I said on Fox and we're trying to find the first time I said it but I remember I said it the first time on Fox I could see it in my head I know exactly where I was standing when I said it and I cuz I think I just said it just off the top of my head and I'm like believe me they were pounding me for saying that Barack Obama was possibly a socialist and I'm making the case, how is he anything else? <laughs> so look at the policies. And they were pounding me, saying that was racist and, and no, socialism, that is just a racial slur. No, it's not. No, it's, it's an economic policy. That's what it is. It's an economic system that has failed every time it's tried. So I remember saying, you watch, at some point, they're going to have this thing so screwed up at some point, they're just going to take off the masks and they're going to be, yeah, I'm a socialist. Damn right. In fact, capitalism doesn't work. We got to try something new. Well, here we are. Is it still racist to call somebody a socialist? I mean, here we are. Did you see the article in, uh, in, at, uh, from Vox? From oh, Megan Day? It's incredible. And, and really a great piece Love a it. great uh, piece of of writing 
that is was completely necessary yep. for the American people right now. This is something where the mask has come completely off, and she's not ashamed of it, nor should she be. I'm not ashamed that I'm a constitutional capitalist. Why should she be ashamed that she's a uh, a, a big state uh, socialist? So she writes an, a very honest piece. Uh, and let me just give you the let me give you the start. Um, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, a Democratic socialist who won the New York primary race with New York gubernatorial candidate Cynthia Nixon. Nixon has embraced the political socialist label as well. They are not the traditional socialist. There, there is no call for communal ownership of production, said MSNBC anchor, while trying to define democratic socialism, a term that has burst into the political scene. I am open to persuasion on this, but my instinct is that if you mean by democratic socialism is stuff FDR proposed, you might be better off using a more all-American reference point like the New Deal or FDR. Now, this is according to the Vox senior correspondent and to MSNBC as they are as they are trying to excuse it and minimize it. Then she quotes me. Democratic socialists will not be covered by the media as the radicals that they are, said Glenn Beck. They are uh, they're going to be covered as innovative, millennial friendly upstart with fresh ideas when they're really diet communists. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. Right. Okay. so the phrase, she says, is indeed everywhere. So what does it mean? And she starts to tell us exactly what it means. And in a very honest way. Uh, again, this is in Vox. You can read it. We'll, we'll tweet it out from Matt World of Stew at Glenn Beck. Uh, she writes, I'm a staff writer at the socialist magazine J- Jacobin in, uh, and a member of the DSA. By the way, have you ever read Jacobin? I mean, bits I and pieces. Just, I just read it two days ago. It is, it is not anything like American philosophy. No, I mean, it is. And look, you know, American philosophy is, I certainly appreciate it quite a bit, you know, <laughs> yes, and yeah. I think uh, I tend to go to the idea that it's a miracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonah Goldberg's book talks a lot about that. Yep. Uh, but in, that doesn't mean it's the only philosophy. Right. And if you're going to believe something else, you should admit it. So she does. I'm a staff writer at the socialist magazine Jacobin and a member of the Democratic Socialist of America. And here's the truth. In the long run, Democrat so- Democratic Socialists want to end capitalism, period. In the long run, Democratic Socialists want to end capitalism. Mm-hmm. We do that by pursuing a reform agenda today in an effort to revive a politics focused on class hierarchy and inequality in the United States. Isn't that what's happening? Mm-hmm. We, are, we are seeing the end, as I've told you, we are seeing the end now of the progressive movement. It's still progressing towards this, but you're now getting to a place to where it is so um, juxtaposed to uh, our system that everything is starting to break down. The gears are starting to grind because we're neither a capitalist society and one that follows the Constitution, nor are we a socialist or communist society. We're neither. And these two things do not go together. The age of reason and the age of postmodernism cannot coexist. And so we're at this point of choosing, and it's coming down on us pretty hard soon. Mm. Democratic socialists share goals with New Deal liberals, but they want to go farther. Pooling society's uh, resources to meet people's basic needs is a tenet of social democracy, one that's been advocated domestically by much of the labor movement and by many of its political supporters among New Deal and post-New Deal liberals. This is a vision we share, but we also want more than FDR did. Many observers see groups like the Democratic Socialists 
pushing for policies like Medicare for All and decide that we must actually be something like New Deal liberals who are simply confused about the meaning of socialism. That's not true, period. Our goal is to rein in the excesses of capitalism for a few decades at a time, and we want to end our society's subservience to the market. Medicare for All is an instructive example. Winning single-payer health care in the U.S. would be enormous relief to millions of Americans, many progressives, and an increasing number of centrist liberals, liberals, hell, even a few Trump voters, want private insurance industry to be replaced by a single comprehensive public insurance program. We want that, too. But we also know that Medicare for All is not socialism. It would only nationalize insurance, not the whole health care system. Doctors would remain private employees, for example, though under some plans they would be required to restructure their businesses uh, and entities. Uh, Democratic socialists ultimately want something more like the British National Health Service, NHS, Mm. in which everyone pays taxes to fund not just insurance, but doctors and hospitals and medicine as well. So it's the VA. Why Why do people have to go to the NHS? It's just the VA. That's what the VA is. Why, why do they have to go to the NIH? It's the VA. Everyone works for the government. The government calls the shots. They have eye care. You could get those really nice black glasses, which are coming back in style now. <laughs> you know, if you're really, really woke, you can have the glasses that they, the government has been selling to veterans and people of the VA since the 1950s. It's wonderful. Why do you have to go to the NIH? NHS. Or NHS. Mm-hmm. It it. it already is uh is here all you want to do is expand the va system it's incredible uh so why are democratic socialists not demanding an nhs right now it's a good question right Mm -hmm. because we currently don't have the support to push for and win such an ambitious program some people say that this is a trojan horse but it's not it's right there Mm mm-hmm and he was only talking about single payer in that uh-huh. clip. He's mm-hmm. they're saying here they want to go well beyond that. Of course that is of course. They wanted it's single why pitcher. did they want single payer? They wanted single payer because they want they want NHS. They want NHS here in America. And of course I think I don't think that's the end step either, but that's a whole other situation. Social democratic reforms like Medicare for all are in the eyes of the DSA part of the long uneven process of building that support and eventually overthrowing capitalism period these are not i'm not making this up i'm not this is not this is exactly I'd love to have her on this would be great because you know what she's honest she's honest and i could I, I could talk yeah. to an honest socialist all day long i have absolutely no i have no argument with an honest socialist i mean i i have I lots mean, of I, arguments no, with no, an honest no, no. socialist but I at have, least it's at least I have it's economic a, arguments but i don't have any argument of no you're trying to twist the word you're trying to no just be honest make a good case at least at least then the conversation is worth something. Right. So much of the conversation you see on cable news is two people yelling at each other with their little agendas, and there's no attempt to get anywhere. Right. This is someone who actually is attempting to get somewhere. I believe in the Constitution, and I'm willing to have the constitutional argument. I'm willing to say the Bill of Rights. I'm willing to take very unpopular positions, and that is... You got. We cannot regulate the guns. You can't. You can't. Because where do you stop? You can't say no. You can't put these blueprints out. Because once you put these, once you say you can't publish this, what else can you not publish in America? It's an absolute right. Now that's not easy to sell. That doesn't make you popular. It's much easier to say, oh my gosh, well that is just wrong. 
It's not popular to say, hey, that guy was making a joke. You may not like the joke, but he has a right to the joke. And if you want him fired, that is the company's business. They have a right to fire, but not because of a mob. Okay, that doesn't make you necessarily popular to say those things, but I'm willing to say them. Here is a socialist who is willing to say, this is what we are. This is our end goal. This is why capitalism fails. This is why we need to replace it. And this is the way the world would look if we got our way. I'm willing to tell you that if I had my way, drugs would be deregulated. Not overnight. Not overnight. We're not a society prepared for that much freedom. Meaning uh, decriminalized? Yeah, decriminalized. And making them available for Making available. For why, why are you regulating? Why are you regulating? Let people make their own decisions. Now, the only way that happens is if we also reduce the state so the state isn't responsible for everybody who's on drugs. That's not the state's jobs. That's your job. And it's your job as a community, your job as a church, your job as a human being to regulate yourself. Well, you're not going to be able to get there right away. That'll take, that'll take decades to reverse this, this trend. Okay. I'm willing to tell you what the end looks like for me. Here's a socialist who's willing to do the same thing. Apparently, I'd love to have her on the show. Yeah, let's see if we can, let's see if we can book her. I like that. Okay. That's good. I mean, I just, I, again, you want to at least have someone who's trying to tell you the truth. I told you. Don't you? If you want to vote for somebody, don't vote for, uh, well, yeah, I'm kind of like that. Kind of, but not really. I mean, I'm just tell me what you are and what you're not. Stop lying. All right, ZipRecruiter. Hiring is really challenging, uh, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and uh, smart. A place where you know growing businesses can connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck is the place to go for you to be able to find the right person. Over a hundred of the best uh, leading job boards in America is what ZipRecruiter does first. Step one, they just take what you are looking for and they post them on the job boards. But then, because they have matching technology, they scan thousands of resumes and find the right person with experience. And then they go out and search that person out and say, hey, you might have missed this, but you'd be perfect for this job. And as the applications come in, they analyze each one and they spotlight the top candidates so you never miss a great match. This is the way to hire the right person fast. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Try it for free now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Do you hear about the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the theft of the crown jewels in Denmark? I mean, this is almost, this is almost like, uh, uh, oh, what's that? What's the movie with the, with the minis? Do you remember? Oh, Italian job. It's almost like mm-hmm. the Italian job. Mm-hmm. So this this group of people uh, went and they 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 stole the crown jewels um, in uh, in Denmark. They tr- two crowns, uh, you know, an orb, uh, and the you know I don't know staff of you're a dummy. I can hit you over the head. Whatever that thing is called, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they haven't found them yet. And they're like, oh, we, we, you, you are not going to be able to sell them. There's a lot to this story. I'll get into it in about a half an hour from now. Um, uh, stand by. 
Glenn Beck program. So I'm 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 learning uh, more. I I actually I, I should say this. I want to learn more about you know my behavior from watching the others, and I suppose I don't think so off the top of my head, but I I hope that we never acted like CNN. Do you think we ever did? That we never we were so blind we couldn't see. We couldn't see what we were doing as well. I mean, when it comes to right now, CNN is saying, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump is causing so much violence. Well, do you remember when CNN used to say that words on radio or on television, my one hour show would cause violence? Look at what they're doing. They're drumming it into people's heads 24 seven that this guy is a criminal and dangerous and there's a distinction there of, of the way we've talked about CNN in the past, in which they, they obviously, I think, lean left. They oh, yeah. always have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, at least to our tastes. But right now, I don't think it's necessarily motivated by liberalism or progressivism. No, it's, it's, it's just it's they hate him. Yeah, they really just hate him. Yeah, and they can't. They don't like any of the things he says. They don't like any of the things he does. And, and like you know, I don't love them all either. But like, it, it seems to, to to send them on this. This run of just out of control um, hatred, and when they th- and we've talked about this before, when they think they've got him on something, then oh, they really just lose. It. Double down, and they just double and triple down, and then when it doesn't do anything, they get more angry. They get about more it. angry. I and mean, then, they're just in this cycle where they're just going to snap. Yeah, I mean, like uh, yes, it's the people at the you know Jim Acosta got yelled at, and people said CNN sucks over and over again. Next Can time. I tell you, CNN? Oh, do you know? Do you know what people said about me like, in the streets? Do you know what my life was like because? You and the people on the left were drumming all kinds of nonsense about me. Yeah. You're the, the same kind of... Did you see what Cuomo was saying last night? Cuomo did like a chalkboard. Cuomo was saying that... What is it? The, the, the letter Q? Oh, or yes. 17. 17. <laughs> that 17 is some sort of you know mystical number that talks and and is is shadow communicating well it's that that q conspiracy thing that's uh, been going around uh, the interwebs for a while yeah. uh, and and to sure be fair they're... a lot of people at the rally were wearing shirts with it and i mean it was seemingly a, a relatively popular item uh, at the what at is the rally the, what is the q conspiracy the, uh, i'm going to butcher this so mm-hmm. if you're part of this yeah. uh, and you love it uh mm-hmm. it's Forgive me. But basically, the idea is there is someone inside the government, high-level security clearances, whose code name is Q on the internet. And he is uh, he is battling behind the scenes uh, to uh, overturn the deep state on behalf of Donald Trump. And he slowly leaks out little breadcrumbs to the uh, audience that's following this you know, anonymous mm-hmm. user. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are... They in, uh, interpret what he says and build sort of conspiracy theories around it. Oh, this sounds healthy. Oh, no, it's really healthy. Like, yeah. this is the one, I think we talked about this. Roseanne uh, is a believer, okay. apparently, in this. And it's a it's a you know situation where it started with him making a really innocuous comment in a speech, Trump, where he said, you know, this is the calm before the storm. And that's like the, the genesis of this, that, that something is coming. And honestly, what's really crazy about this is part of this conspiracy theory, apparently, is that Mueller is actually not investigating Trump. He's not a bad guy, as you'd think most Trump people would say these days. 
um, because, you know, Trump has been saying it mm-hmm. for a while. He's actually a good guy working in tandem with Trump under the guise of the investigation to overturn the deep state. Holy cow. So it's uh, it's so, pretty involved. So, so it's apparently he was apparently uh, Trump was communicating by using the number 17 uh, during one of his rallies. By yeah, saying there were 17 he there was, people. Or, he said there's 17 Democrats or something. And that means right. 17 is the, I guess, 17th, Q, 17th letter in the alphabet is Q. Is Q. Yeah. And that was something he talked about on CNN. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Proudly. I mean, mock the Q Proudly. conspiracy theory all you want. What is your conspiracy theory on that? Right. I mean, unless he comes, I mean, maybe, who knows, Trump might tweet, yes, that's exactly what I meant. It was the Q conspiracy theory. Who knows? But it's kind of, you know, out there. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Probably a little more out there than George Soros uses the open society to create a new world that, uh, you know, is borderless, uh, is much more socialistic. I mean, I can show you the accounting of that. Chris Cuomo, where, what? What do I? What am I supposed to do with? Um, he said seventeen, and that's the seventeenth letter of the alphabet is Q. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, your conspiracy theories went farther than that. For example, you said stuff like, "In the long run, democratic socialists want to end capitalism, and social democratic reforms like Medicare for all uh, are part of the long, uneven process of building that support and eventually overthrowing capitalism." Well, yeah, okay, so that conspiracy. Oh, wait, we just had a Democratic Socialist print in Vox yeah. that very thing. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, but I mean, like, think about this. You, Glenn Beck goes on and does an interview today. You go on CNN, you go on one of these news channels today, and at some point during the interview, they're going to reference the fact that in 2009-ish, you said that you believed... Uh, you asked the question, is Barack Obama a racist? Does he have a problem with white culture? Which white culture being a quote from Barack Obama's book. Um, but you asked that question, and you get asked about it about every other interview. Yeah. Um, think about that. that. That little meaningless throwaway comment, which, by the way, uh, we talked about much more in depth later on if you want to go back and listen to the archives. But if, that throwaway comment on Fox and Friends as a guest gets you asked about it more than a dec or a whole decade later, still a focus of the media. Today we hear about Jim Acosta getting yelled CNN sucks um, by some people around him that didn't do anything else other than that. They said CNN sucks, and they do believe it. You know, they think CNN sucks. You know, <laughs> I, I think I, I CNN sucks. I don't. Yeah, and I do a lot of times too. I also uh, wouldn't want to yell that at a reporter no, as they're doing their no job that's not the way, way. I, but I, I but like let's not overblow it for more than it was it was a bunch of people chanting at a rally one year ago a democratic socialist supporter attempted to kill 10 percent of republicans that were elected in the united states in washington dc they were playing softball and a gunman came out and tried to kill all of them one year ago, not 10 years ago, one year ago this occurred. And it is tossed away as if it was just a little blip on the radar. He tried to kill everyone. He was a Bernie Sanders campaign uh, volunteer and tried to kill everyone on the Republican side. And we're supposed to get worked up over CNN sucks to a reporter? That is insanity. And of course, of course, they're not going to listen to you when you make points like that. Of course, they aren't. You, you, of course, they're not going to take you seriously. I mean, I, that would last if if 
God forbid anything happened like this on the other side. God forbid we would never hear the end of it. Never. In 60 years, they would still be never. telling it and blaming it on us. Yep. And it's just, you know, I I want to give the media the benefit of the doubt because some of the things that they do are are good. And there's some people at CNN and on these other yes. organizations that do a good job. Yes. But, man, it's frustrating as an organization to try to take something like that seriously when you treat the other side so absurdly. When you are so focused on on leaning one way, leaning forward, as MSNBC used to say, when you're looking that way, I mean, you can't be honest. You can't be taken seriously by people that you continually belittle. When it came to the Tea Party, it was they were constantly being re- referenced as violent and angry people. We and- were constantly told that our words mattered so much. That in a campaign piece, Sarah Palin could not use we're targeting this district because that would be a trigger, a silent trigger to people. And how do you know who's listening to you when you say we're going to target? That means we're going to target and we should get a gun and target. No, no, that's not what it means. And look at what you're doing. Look at what you're doing. You said that when we went out in the Washington Mall, that it would be violent, that it would be racist, that it would be hateful. It was none of those things. The left sent the Black Panthers into our crowd. They sent Al Sharpton into our crowd to march. And what did we do? We loved them. We loved them. That's not what they wanted. And you called us all kinds of names. You, CNN, you are preparing this nation for a civil war. You are tilling this ground every day. There is more speculation on CNN day in, day out than I believe in my entire career. Please do not talk to me about speculation. Please do not talk to me about racism. I said, the president, I think, I said, I think he's a racist. And I immediately took that back. No, that's not the right word. But he has a problem with the white culture. From his own book, he calls white culture. Now, tell me, CNN... Was that so wrong of me to ask? Because what I was sensing at the time was something I had never felt before. What I felt at that time was someone is coming against and trying to say that white people are bad. White culture is bad. The Western culture, the Judeo-Christian culture. The hierarchy that we have built. Well, gee, CNN, it seems like that's exactly where we are now. That white men are the problem. Men are the problem. That's what I was sensing. I didn't know how to express it. Now, you might be sensing something. You are saying, well, I think all those people are racist. No, that's not what they are. Just like, just like Barack Obama wasn't a racist, but he had a problem with the culture. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Just say it. So we know who you are. 
so we can have a real conversation. He had a problem with American culture. He did. All universities are teaching that. It's not a secret anymore. There's lots of people that have a problem with the white culture. Now, what you're feeling, Donald Trump is a racist. No, no, I don't believe he is. And I don't believe the supporters of Barack, uh, of Donald Trump are racist. I think that there might be some that are, just like I'm sure there were some Black Panthers that really liked Barack Obama. There's a difference. What you're sensing is people that say, my culture is okay. And my culture is, is homogenous. It is. But it comes from everywhere, and we melt into each other. And we all, our differences make us stronger when they're added to the whole, e pluribus unum. You want to get away from the unum and just leave us as, as uh, pluribus. As many, many don't create anything. It's one that creates, and you know it. You know it. Why are you so afraid of dividing the country? Why are you so afraid dividing the country? They're dividing the country. Of course. Of course. That means destruction. That's why we got to concentrate on the unum. But everything in our society has concentrated only on our differences. And this is what happens when you only concentrate on differences. And you start pointing fingers. That group and that group and that group. I'm part of the human race. I'm a human. I believe humans fail a lot. I know enough about history to know that humans enslave people. All different races have done it. I also am a student of American history to know how bad we have been as a nation, but I also know how great we can be when we come together. And you don't do it the way you are doing it 24-7. Don't you dare talk to me about my three-hour radio show and my one hour on Fox. Don't you dare do it. You do it 24-7. And if there is bloodshed, I'm going to use your words. You will be responsible for a lot of it. Watch that taken out of context. <sighs> More on that coming up in a minute. Uh, our sponsor, this half hour is Simply Safe. You want a great security system? You got fantastic protection from Simply Safe. Really easy to use. And there's exciting news right now. Simply Safe has become this uh, this country's leading supplier now. Uh, and they're leading the way into the next century and the next phase of security. They're now a $1 billion business. They were five guys when they started with us. Now they're a billion-dollar business. And why? Because their service is fantastic. No wires, no contracts, no strings attached. 
just the best security system you can buy at an unbelievably uh, unbelievable low price and the monitoring is only 14.99 a month order your simply safe system today right now get 10% visit simplysafebeck.com that's simplysafebeck.com get 10% off your system at simplysafebeck.com Glenn Beck I apologize for letting my uh, my my anger get the best of me here um we're better than this i'm i need to be better than this i you know and and cnn i'm only using your standard i'm only using the media standard that's it you preach to us for eight years you don't understand why you're making the country mad at you half of the country because you told us for eight years anything we say is dangerous and would cause violence and civil war and look what you're doing today. Use your own standard, Glenn not mine, Beck. yours. Mercury. Glenn Beck. In the next five minutes, I'm going to tell you what is really going on in America. In the next five minutes, you will understand, I believe, why there is a chance of a civil war in America. What is it that really divides us? Is it race? No. It's a tool. Uh, is it income? Nope, it's a tool. Is it left and right? Nope. What is it that is that people have been feeling and they just, they can't stop themselves. They cannot stop themselves. And I'll, Let me explain both sides. But let me start with this example. Right now, CNN is, Jim Acosta, you know, was at a Trump rally and he tweeted, just a sample of the sad scene we faced at the Trump rally in Tampa. I'm very worried, worried that the hostility whipped up by Trump and some of in conservative media will result in someone getting hurt. We shouldn't tra- treat our fellow human beings this way. The press is not the enemy. Well, I'm a member of the press. I would like to say, do you accept me as a member of the press and that I'm not an enemy because I've been treated as an enemy? In fact, everybody who was involved in the Tea Party was treated by the press as an enemy. We were called revolutionaries, anti-government. We were called dangerous. So I guess, Jim, help me out. Or do you just know what's right and wrong? And that's the beginning of the problem. Let me give you something else. Now, this comes from Mark Caputo, who is a Republican, writes for Politico. He apologized right away. But I just want you to hear because, and I'm using this as an example. Both of these tweets, we have to grow a thicker skin. Grow a set, man. Good God, are we this are we this bored? Do we not have other things going on in our life? Get over it. It's a tweet. Okay. But I'm using these as an example to to illustrate my point. He writes in favor of Jim Acosta, and he says, if you put everybody's mouth together in this video, you'll get a full set of teeth. Okay. So he's making fun of them. All right. Then the next tweet, he says, oh, no, I made fun. I'm quoting, I made fun of garbage people jeering at another person as they falsely accuse him of lying and flipping him off. Someone fetch a fainting couch. Now, again, he's apologized for this. He's taken it back. He says it does no good to do this. It's divisive, blah, 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 blah. But it illustrates my point. What is the real divide? The real divide in America is simply this. 
There is a group of people who think that they are better than another group of people. They're smarter. They're more well-educated. They're more stable. They have all the answers. And they should be in charge. And everyone else is a moron. Then there is another group of people. And that, pe- that group of people are tired of someone saying, I'm better than you. Someone saying, you're stupid. You don't get it. I can't tell you the truth about this health care. I'm just going to, I'll do it by hook and by crook. They're tired of being looked down on because they look differently, dress differently, live a different lifestyle, go to church. You don't go to church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whatever the reason is, because you live in Central Park West, because you're in the media elite, because you went to the right schools and you are surrounded by people who think like you, you have decided you know best. You're smarter. You're better somehow. Would any of you think about going in that live in these media centers? Would any of you think about just moving into the center of a country and moving into a, a red neighborhood? Not because of politics, or is that trailer trash? Garbage people. That's what this is about. And this this goes down to progressivism. Progressives have always thought we, the educated, Those who have power in the media and in the universities and in the government should look at the rest of the sheep and we know best. That never works out well. So this isn't really about the the, the anger is only coming from the two Americas. And it has nothing to do with money. I'm out busting my ass, working at a 7-Eleven, trying to feed my family, and you somehow are better? You somehow or another know what will fix my life? You can judge me? It's because the elite have such um, a dismissive view of people who aren't like them that they aren't listening. They can't even begin to understand it, and they don't care. Those people are stupid. They're garbage people. I warn you, they're not garbage people, and you're not garbage people. We're all just people, and we need to find a way to live together side by side. That's crazy, but our founders found a way to do that. It's called the Bill of Rights. And if we would just come back together and respect one another's individual choices and individual life and celebrate that somebody else is different, perhaps we can avoid real trouble in the future. I want to break uh, early. Um, We have Charles Cook coming on with us. Uh, in just a second and um, he's going to talk to us a little bit about what's happening with democratic socialism it's a great he wrote a great article i want i want him to share it in just a second 
Once again, sensitive personal data has been exposed in more data breaches for nearly two months. An unauthorized party reportedly used stolen usernames and passwords to log on to online accounts of certain major department stores' websites. So customer data, your data, full name, address, phone number, email address, birthday, you know, payment uh, uh, card numbers, expiration date, all of it compromised. Your personal data is one data breach away. And then they've got you. They can file tax returns, open accounts, buy property, everything. My wife uh, was contacted by uh, LifeLock just about a week ago. And they said, are you opening up these accounts? Uh, No. They said, okay, we're on it. We just got two days ago, we just got letters from these banks. Hey, congratulations on your new card you've opened up. Thank God LifeLock is on this. We had no idea somebody had taken her personal in, 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 uh, identification and was opening up all kinds of accounts. That's where you need LifeLock. The new LifeLock identity theft protection also adds the power of Norton security to help protect against threats to your identity and devices. And nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But there's nobody better than LifeLock. I want you to call them now. 1-800-LIFELOCK. 1-800-LIFELOCK. Mention the promo code BECK and you'll get a 10% discount. It's LifeLock.com. Go to the website now, lifelock.com, use the promo code BECK, or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Charles uh, C.W. Cook is the uh, editor of National Review Online, uh, and he's written a really great article, The Unserious Face of an Unserious Movement, and it's all about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and I think he he helps answer a, a question that at least I have, well, what? How, how does somebody go through and, and have two degrees, one in foreign affairs and one in economics, and then not be able to answer any of those questions uh, as she is doing? Welcome to the program, Charles. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Sure. So tell me, tell me your thoughts on, on, um, on Cortez. Well, I think we should separate out her from the movement she represents. It seems to me undeniable that there is some energy in the Democratic Party behind what they call democratic socialism. Yes. And this is certainly going to come to the fore in the 2020 Democratic primaries, even if it's glossed over now, because uh, there are so many seats in play. You can custom build your candidate for your area. You can't do that in a presidential election. And as we saw in 2016... Bernie Sanders um, does represent a growing uh, contingent on the left. Um, That, of course, is a separate question from whether she is any good at her job. And the answer (laughs) to that um, is no, she's not. Um, Now, people have asked me, well, why do you care? Why did you bother writing about it? And the answer is because they care. They're promoting her. She's running up and down the country in different uh, jurisdictions, jurisdictions in which she's not running, Kansas, for example, making the case for her ideology and endorsing and supporting candidates. She has been chosen as a a young face uh, of a facet of our politics. She's making videos with Bernie Sanders. She's doing the rounds on the Sunday show. She was on firing line. She's being name-checked everywhere. So it would be a bit ridiculous to ignore her. And I hope that the public doesn't ignore her because she's not actually a great saleswoman. No, no, she's really not. No, she's really not. But you know, it's, it's, there, was a, um, there was a story that came out uh, from Vox yesterday where a Democratic Socialist came out and said, look, here's who we are. We are not FDR. 
it's not who we are. We believe in the end of capitalism. Uh, so there are serious people who are democratic socialists. Are they? Well, they're, they're we, not necessarily serious. There are certainly people who are democratic socialists. <laughs> why do you say they're not? Why do you say they're not serious? Well, I, I don't think that that is a serious position. I don't see capitalism as sort of one tool in a, a, a toolbox that you can choose that you can um, latch on. I don't agree with the contention that you can choose your economic system and you can choose your um, political system and you can, you know, put it together like some sort of, uh, you know, candy pick and mix operation. You can't. If you want Wait, to. Wait, isn't have- that. I know. I, I, I mean, I, I hate to point this out to a man who sounds like you with your accent, but I believe that's what our founders did. No, I don't think they did. I, I think that you cannot have the American constitutional order without capitalism. It, because because if you, if you oh, I, choose to. Okay. What I, I agree what with I'm you on that. Is that the, the, the argument, I mean, they use the words quite deliberately, democratic socialism. What yes. they're trying to do is get over the initial objection, which is, look, socialism tends to lead to an absence of democracy, an absence of political rights, an absence of individual freedom, and so on and so forth. But this time it'll be different because we're not talking about Stalin. We're talking about Norway or what they think Norway is like. Now, I don't want to suggest for a moment that these people want to put people in camps. I really don't think that they do. I also don't think that what they want is achievable. In my view, capitalism, or I don't really like the word capitalism. I would say free markets or an open society. These things are a prerequisite to the sort of political order that we want to cherish in America. Because ultimately, you cannot have socialism without increasing government uh, uh, government force over every other aspect of human life. I think that's what the the grind is right now that people don't really understand, and that is we are not a constitutional republic, although we are still more of that. We're not fully capitalist, and we're not a socialist or or you know communistic or fascistic state. We're just a little of of all of it, and it, that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You've got to choose one or the other. Well, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yes, um, and and I am a conservative, and I and I am a, a fairly um, radical, classical liberal. I suppose. Right. Um, you know, I I think we've gone far too far. I think that the New Deal didn't just damage the economy. I think it damaged our politics and our institutions as well. So I, I agree. agree with you on that. I agree. But look, this is somebody who um, is not even capable of defending the position. Uh, that she is supposed to be advocating. I so mean, is she this, exposed herself as, as somebody who does not have a, a, a strong grasp of it, economics or of politics. If you were, um, if if you were part of the hierarchy of uh, Boston University, wouldn't you try to? Wouldn't you want her to kind of sit down and keep quiet? Because honestly, if this is the way someone is churned out from that university with a degree in both economics. And foreign policy, and she can't really articulate foreign policy, and she can't articulate anything economically. What was what 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 kind of education did she get? This is a problem in the world. Um, it, 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 it's startling how much we have turned to what I call credentialism. Um, you know, I often say this to people. My dad left school at fifteen. Um, in the Air Force and he started his own business. And the way we look at human beings now is to assign him less value than me. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to university, but that's preposterous. 
That's not how people learn. It doesn't in any way indicate somebody's worth. So it doesn't surprise me that, that she's um, she's ignorant. What, what does surprise me is that she's willing to embarrass herself in the way that she is by starting sentences. <laughs> wow, you know, I, I'm one of the only people with an economics degree in the house. It's also premature. She's not in the house yet. But even if she were, uh, if you start a sentence by by <laughs> making available your credentials, you mm-hmm. better damn well back it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she hasn't. Yeah, you go through the, a lot of the mistakes that she made, Charles, and just in the first few interviews that she's done, and and they're dramatic. I mean, the idea, you know, the one that I caught, you know, when she was saying it initially, the seven hundred billion dollar increase in military budget. I mean, someone economics and foreign affairs. How you could not understand right on its face that that's not true, that that is the entire military budget and not just an increase in it. These are the types of things that are, this is surface level information for anyone who would want to participate in this debate. Uh, You know, I I don't, again, I think credentialism is a great thing to, to talk about because we really do, we do this all the time. We act as if just because you've got this uh you know this this degree that you're you're above the rest of society and and you know we discussed this with Brian Kaplan before about how we we now are just striving as a country to show off the pieces of paper that we have rather than actually acquiring knowledge that's exactly my view um and and it leads to a, a classism that i abhor and as you noted earlier i'm not originally from the united states i'm no. from britain which has its own issues with class, and they've got worse and worse and worse. But unfortunately, I do see some of the uh, the same trends uh, popping in here. If you remember when Scott Walker was um, was was running for president, albeit briefly, back in 2015, Howard Dean said on uh, Morning Joe uh, that he couldn't be president, shouldn't be president, because he hadn't finished his degree. Now, in what universe could you look at Scott Walker and say, the guy's a failure, a two-time right. governor of Wisconsin. Why did it matter that he hadn't done his last credit? It only matters if you judge people um, in this peculiar, um, sort of credentialized manner. Uh, if I were a plumber or a, 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 an infantryman uh, or a, a truck driver, um, I would have looked at that and thought, well, what are you saying? Are you saying that I am a second-class citizen? Are you saying that I'm not good enough? Are you saying, in fact, that uh, America's um, political institutions should be closed to me because I didn't go uh, to the right monastery uh, as a young man? Uh, I think it's a big problem. Um, and, and I think she's probably um, exposing that as well as anybody could. I, I think that's, I mean, I just did a monologue, um, Charles, on on the real grind in America. What's really What's really irritating so many Americans is there are two groups of people. One that think they're better and they're smarter and they can make all the decisions and the others who are like, I'm not garbage people. I mean, what do you, I I don't feel that way about you. Why are you looking down and trying to tell me I'm stupid or I'm less than, and I I think we've lost the message of the statue of Liberty. I mean, the line of keep your storied pomp. Um, That's why people came here because there were guilds you had to belong to. You had to have the right title. You had to be in the right family before you could do stuff. We've we're recreating everything that we tried to get away from. I think that's right. And it's an odd paradox here because we quite like dropouts, but only people who go into fields and make a billion dollars. <laughs> we, we like the fact that Bill Gates is a dropout. We like the fact Mark Zuckerberg is a dropout. Tom Hanks is a dropout. We still value that. 
But if you drop out and you become a plumber and you make good money and you enjoy your work and you're very, very talented in your own field, uh, we put you in the other class, I think. And I really, really don't understand why. Charles, um, where, what are we headed for? How much trouble are we headed for? Well, I think that's the million-dollar question. Um, it, it is always the case that we need to refight the, the, the fights of the past because nothing is ever won. Um, nobody learns lessons forever. We do seem to be in a period in which we've forgotten some of those hard-fought mm-hmm. lessons, and, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others demonstrate that. Um, if, if, we, if we don't relearn um, then we, we're in serious trouble. Okay. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that we will, and, and I suppose I have to be given my job yeah. and, and what, what I do for a living. I believe that we can, we can win because we are right and we're, we're more in touch with human nature and, and sure. reality, I think. Charles, thank you very much. Charles C.W. Cook, you can follow him at Charles C.W. Cook with an E. Thanks, Charles. There was a there's a great a few great articles in uh, National Review, uh, but uh, Jim Garrity uh, has written one that of, cor- of course the headline just caught my eye. The end is nigh, uh, and I mean I now I have to read it. Uh, but I was I was struck by this article on what he's thinking about on problems. He's he's thinking deeper than I'd say ninety percent of the deep thinkers in America that talk about politics, maybe 99% uh, on some of the, some of the things that are coming our way and the solution uh, for it. Jim, how are you? Glenn, it's good to, good to chat with you again. So uh, let, let's, let's go over the things that keep you up at night that were in this article. Sure. Uh, it was actually Tyler Cohen uh, who writes for Bloomberg kind of wrote his, uh, his worries about American decline. And he hits a lot of the points that I think most people think about, slowing economic growth, uh, addiction, uh, entitlements, and globally dominant China and all that kind of stuff. And it was a perfectly fine list. But when I thought about what keeps you up at night, and oh, by the way, I hope everyone doesn't stay up at night and they're not, you know, having too much caffeine late in the day or anything like that. Um, I I realized that what worried me was kind of a different list, uh, and probably most notably in things that seemed like good developments at the time, mm-hmm. um, virtual reality and, and games and all the different ways that we can kind of immerse ourselves into something. Um, and look, I, I say this is a guy who enjoys going to the movies and, and all this thing as much as the next guy. Um, Glenn, I don't know if you've ever played the game Civilization, uh, but it's, I, I had one, a version of it a couple of years ago, and it's the sort of thing where you sit down in the evening and say, oh, I'm going to play a video game. And you look up, look up when you, at the clock, and it's 3 a.m. Right. You know, that sense right. of you can lose yourself in this. And I Fortnite. kind of agree that, you know, once we really get virtual reality going, once you can put on those goggles and feel like you're in a totally different place, you know, uh, uh, making out with a movie star, being a race car, all, any of that kind of stuff, how, much, how many people get tempted to just lose themselves into a virtual world? How many people would rather be in a virtual reality that is full of happiness and all kinds of good stuff and not want to deal with what is admittedly a very, you know, very troubled reality, real world problems. Um, Jim, I'm you know, worried, I, but when this becomes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I, I, I am, uh, I was so pleased to see you write about this. This is something that has been on my mind for almost a decade now. And it is, uh, you just can't tell me human nature. Uh, I mean, why, uh, for instance, Japan, 
they're having a hard time because sex dolls, sex robots are just going to zero population growth now. Uh, when that's actually good or when that's actually virtual reality at its at its apex, why would anyone date? Why why would any guy say, "Oh, I yeah, I want to I want to come home and have somebody say, uh, oh, you know, you never talk to me. You never do this. You never I'm take the garbage out. I'm going to come home to a virtual reality woman who knows everything that I'm interested in, makes my world wonderful. And I mean, why would you ever leave that world? Why would you ever yeah, leave? Back in the late 80s, I remember comedian Dennis Miller doing a joke that said, man, the day that technology allows you to make out with Claudia Schiffer, uh, it's going to make crack look like Sanka. It's and, true. You know, like, once you have that opportunity, you know, like it, it's going to be a natural inclination. You could argue that's probably part of what's fueling the opioid epidemic, right? I mean, yes. yes, life is going to have really tough problems. And the question is, how do you respond to them? And it's kind of tough to begrudge someone for wanting that escape, whether it's drugs, whether it's booze, whether it's a virtual reality. But I, I look at this, the technology is going to greatly outpace our ability to have good judgment with the technology. And, uh, you know, that could be very big problems. And the other thing is, it kind of, it, it, I realized, I guess it was kind of a common theme that ran through a lot of these. I went through the usual concerns about terrorism. Uh, I also worry about how terrorism will affect us. But I, I also noticed, Glenn, I think this is really right in your wheelhouse, you look over the last couple of years, you see homegrown ISIS wannabes, uh, the alt-right, the nutjobs. I, I use the term Charlottesville nutjobs, and I, have, I had a few readers say, no, no, Charlottesville people are nice. It's the nutjobs who came here last time. <laughs> <laughs> the yes. nutjobs who came to Charlottesville, not the people of Charlottesville. Right. Uh, incels, which kind of ties into what you were saying about Japan. Columbiners, which are these you know, deeply troubled young people who kind of get obsessed with, you know, and all of them collect this, this list of grievances. Life has not been fair to them. Life has been, and maybe it has, but they come to the conclusion that the only real way they can deal with it is to lash out and usually through violence. And I just think, man, you know, the world has never lacked angry young men. And the internet and the, the ability to kind of get sucked into this online culture that nurtures those grievances, and instead of saying, you know, hey, snap out of it, suck it up, your life is tough, you can still do great things with your life, stop whining. Instead, you get this message of, oh, no, you're right. They're out to get you. You know, they are holding you down. None of your problems in life are your fault. For well, you don't even have to go to you don't even have to go to the nut jobs. Look how outraged we are at tweets at tweets. Mm-hmm. We go apoplectic. Yeah. Um, and it's just this nagging, you know, I, 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 I was thinking about the uh, I'm sure you're probably discussing your program permit patty. The crazy woman out there who, who called 911 because there was a child selling uh, uh, water on the street without a permit. Yes. I know you'd see, we get a lot of these stories of people calling 911 over really mundane problems that you, you figure most grown adults could work out. You know, uh, the, the, the case in Maryland when they. Uh, the, the kids who were unattended and somebody called 911 over them, we've really turned into this quad, you know, perhaps increasingly paranoid sense of, of regarding our fellow uh, citizens with suspicion, seeing them as threats, stranger danger, as we taught our kids, and all of a sudden we treat, you know, kids end up with like a ton of uh, uh, emotional issues and wariness around strangers and stuff. You know, what happens when that happens after, God forbid, like another 9-11-style terror attack, right? I mean, or, you know, God forbid, chemical, nuclear, biological, any of that kind of stuff. I do worry the sense of, like, people just, the American people might lose their traditional 
if not um, friendliness to strangers, then even let's just say cordialness to strangers. That's when we uh, change. That's that's when we permanently change. The thing that has always been different is, I mean, Einstein, one of his letters on American uh, on America and why it was different was because the Americans were always looking forward. They were always looking for the best. They they accepted the stranger and brought them in and they were warm to them that that's unique to america yeah and it's one of those things where um you see the coarsening of our culture the deepening of our divisions and things like that and then you kind of wonder what you know this this is a bad situation and, and glenn i'm writing a piece on uh, what's going right in the country uh, an optimistic counterbalance to yesterday's column this is actually, all things considered, pretty good times. Unemployment rate's fairly low. Um, crime rate is low, but historically speaking. Teen pregnancy, abortion rates, uh, almost every measurement you do, we're actually in pretty good times right now. And maybe it doesn't always feel that way. Maybe you look at the news every day and you're like, Ugh, you know, what has he said today? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, sense of, of, you know, exhaustion and frustration and all that kind of stuff. But let's take this current mood of the country, and God forbid there's another actual crisis, you know, Trouble. another Hurricane Katrina, another 9-11, something like that. How do we react? Do we pull together, or do, we have, do our divisions kind of get the better of us? Jim, do you think the, the, the idea that we actually are in pretty good times right now is, is part of the reason why we are constantly overreacting to these little things like tweets? We're kind of working on this premise here of Glenn's new book, Addicted to Outrage. And it does seem like part of the reason why we get so fired up and are so angry about such nonsensical things is because times are good and we can't find real problems. We're constantly searching for the outrage. Yeah. One of the points I made in the column and I've been thinking, really chewing over back and forth over the last couple of weeks. So one of the lessons of my lifetime um, is that, you know, the 9-11 teaches us that a problem that seems very far away and isn't really something we have to worry about. There's this nut jobs in a cave and they got funny names, and they say they're declaring war against the United States, and what the heck are these going to do? Uh, you know, they, they're just a bunch of guys with box cutters, and one day they change the world. Mm-hmm. And this sense of, like, this, this, you know, that 9-11 taught us this, like, really horrifying lesson of something that you think you don't have to worry about can suddenly be the worst thing in the whole wide world. And so now I think there's a kind of, it, it taught, then you have, okay, well, fine. Well, at least, at least Edron is safe. At least my investment's there. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, at least, at least I can trust the leaders of the Catholic Church. At least Bill Cosby is on my television to tit. <laughs> right, to be okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. We've had the rug pulled out underneath us a lot of times. Right. And like, ah, eh, Lehman Brothers. You know, okay, it's one big fancy bank on Wall Street. If that's go down, if that goes down, what's the worst that could happen? Um, so we've had enough experiences in the last, you know, two three decades or so to kind of make us a little bit paranoid that a small problem could turn into a big problem. Now, sometimes a small problem is just a small problem. Um, I don't think every, you know, uh, course tweet has to turn into a federal case or get someone fired or, um, you know, get the full Kevin Williamson treatment or something like that. <laughs> but at the same time, there's this sense of, you know, you could understand us being a little gun shy. Yeah. Um, when, yeah. You know, when you're being told about scandals from the likes of Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose. So we're t- talking to Jim uh, Garrity, National um, Review, uh, and he's got a, a new article that's really, really good. The end is nigh. You should you should read it. You, the, the scariest thing, you lay out some really frightening things, um, but the scariest thing is the last paragraph. One in six American express approval of having the army rule. More than 40% of wealthy Americans support the idea of a strong leader who doesn't have to bother with Congress or elections. 
Half of Americans, only half of Americans, know that the First Amendment protects freedom of speech. Half of us are arguing about what the laws ought to be based upon the Constitution. And the other half of us are arguing what the laws ought to be based on how our gut feels that day. Um, Our unum used to be the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. There were certain things that we held um, self-evident. And they were unchangeable. And that's what brought us together and made us a melting pot. But we've destroyed that. We don't know it. We haven't. We've been. Our, our, our education has been subverted. Uh, and there is no civics lessons anymore. That's the real key to fixing this, isn't it, Jim? I was going to say, I think that that's a big chunk of the root of the problem. Uh, and people have been saying it for a while. We all remember the Jay Leno segments where he would talk to people on the street and show them a picture of the vice president and people have no idea who it is. And then he would say, you know, he'd do some sort of, uh, you know, advertising jingle. And of course they remembered that perfectly. Yeah. Um, but again, I think those civics classes gave us a common frame of reference and that sense of like, okay, so if I want to enact a change, I have to do it within the constitutional framework. I have a executive branch, a legislative branch, a judicial branch. It's got, if I want to do this change, it's got to be consistent with the Constitution. I got to build a consensus. I got to, you know, and all this kind of understanding of the rules. And, and there's kind of this, you know, you saw this yearning and, and sad to say, and I know you talked about this a lot, Glenn, this is not a partisan problem. There are plenty of people left, right, and center who just kind of have this instinct, instinct of, well, there ought to be a law. And they right. don't even really want to think through the process of, of you know, how you'd get that law passed, this, how this, it would be enacted. Yeah. This whole thing with the 3D printing has driven me out of my mind in the last uh, couple of days. We're talking, we're not even talking about the Second Amendment yet. They're talking about a violation of the First Amendment. It's illegal. You, it will be unlawful for you to knowingly publish, fill in the blank, I don't care what it is. A recipe for smallpox. You don't do that in America. You don't say it's unlawful to publish anything. I was going to say, I think the perfect, succinct comment on this came from the wonderful satirical parody site, the Babylon Bee, who observed that after watching Americans handle 2D printers, there is absolutely no threat of Americans taking down 3D printers. I saw that. It's very funny. Letter. What does that mean? <laughs> Jim Garrity from uh, National Review. Thank you so much, uh, Jim. Appreciate it. You bet. You just got to love when you can get uh, the end is nigh combined with office space references. When you yeah. can do that, yeah. that's uh, very solid. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. July 23rd, Liberty Safe was invited uh, by President Trump, uh, along with uh, Vice President Mike Pence and members of the administration, to participate in something called the Made in America Product Showcase. It was happening at the White House. There were only 50 people that were invited, only 50 groups. One from every state. Liberty Safe was selected from their state, um, and they brought this big, beautiful presidential 50 state uh, safe. Uh, and there's uh, pictures on the uh, website that you could see of uh, Vice President Pence uh, looking at it and talking to the guys. And it's they're beautiful safes. They're the best built safe, bar none. And it's all built here in America. That's why they were um, brought in, and they deserve the attention that they get. Because these people have changed the way. I mean, everybody was making everything in Japan. Um, they said, we can do better than that. We can make some stuff in Japan, but we're going to make these safes. We're going to make the best of the best. We're going to make them all here in America. And they're the ones that are, you know, if you see a Cabela safe, check the label. It's actually Liberty safe. The best. 
So here's what you need to do. You need to check out for for whatever you have, your guns, your valuables, your important documents. Trust me, bigger is better in this case. You will regret buying one that's too small. Uh, LibertySafe.com. Go to LibertySafe.com. You can have it delivered uh, right to your uh, right to where you want it to say to your door, but you don't want it left on your door. Um, they'll put it into the house and install it. F- uh, Twelve months interest free on any purchase over eight hundred and fifty dollars. Do it now. Liberty Safe. Simple, easy, secure, always protected the Liberty way at LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck. Oh, man. Play the jingle here, Sarah. Addicted to outrage. Yes, if you haven't had your daily hit of outrage, I'm about to give it to you. And here's the good news. Oh. Stu, what have you always wanted to do with your life? Uh, my life? I've your always life. wanted to be judge, jury, and executioner of someone else's life. Today is your day. Yes! If you can just become addicted. Addicted to outrage. Yeah! So here's our new game. Today we have somebody we have to decide, should she stay? Should she be fired? Should we burn her at the stake? Ooh, I know oh. what I'm going to pick. Okay. Now, this is going to be a hard one because it's the New York Times. Mm-hmm. So you have to set your bias aside about how you feel about the New York Times or hell, just roll it all into one. <laughs> so there is a uh, there's a new uh, uh, editorial writer for the New York Times, and she's made some uh, some amazing t- t- comments on Twitter. Uh, dumbass effing white people marking up the inter- <laughs> uh, ma- uh, marking up the Internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. Oh. oh, man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. Uh, as white people, are you gen- uh, genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically only being able to live underground like groveling goblins? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that one okay. last, last one is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, she's got a lot of them. Okay. We're going we're gonna to spin the wheel. And we're going to decide her fate. <laughs> what happens? Addicted to outrage. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Glenn Beck. Everybody listen. Shh. Quiet, 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 quiet. Listen. Can you hear it? The people who are working on Italian Job 3, the writers of Mission Impossible going, you've got to be kidding me. How come we didn't think of that? That's brilliant. The perfect heist. It's theatrical, it's historical, it has crypts and old uh, royal jewels and jet skis. This is the ultimate movie. It happened in broad daylight, 14th century cathedral on a sunny day in Sweden. Two men snuck into a cathedral somehow, according to the Associated Press. The two men stole a gold crown and an orb Dating back to 1611, they were made for a king, King Carl IX, and his funeral. Jewel-encrusted crown dating back to 1625 that was used with uh, Queen Christina's funeral. So they took the orb, the staff, and two crowns. Now, well, let me just give you the rest of the story. The items were on display at an exhibition. uh, And people were inside when all of this was just taken. Two men smashed the security glass, protecting the artifacts. Uh, The sirens went off. They grabbed the treasure. 
they went outside they hopped onto a couple of bicycles they they uh, they were weighed down by the by the loot packed on the back but they were in they were in custom made baskets for the bikes um and infant carriers uh then we're not really sure what happened either way they made it to a nearby dock and hopped onto some jet skis so they they made a heist of the stuff from the 14th century on jet skis i love this story i absolutely love this story um they haven't found them i mean this is really despicable and it's horrible or is it is it Stu? i would like you to weigh in on this all right okay it's you know 1600s you're a king okay they make you a crown and then they put it in a in a tomb with you and then they just took it out recently to show it to everybody it's been in a tomb for like you know three four hundred years mm-hmm. i say these guys aren't at robbers as much as they are just the first archaeologists <laughs> okay it's uh a- i mean it's what's the difference between opening king tut's tomb and taking everything that they left there that, you know, he's going to take with him. And this, you weren't using it. <laughs> well, and they stole it from hey. someone who they stole it from. Huh? They stole it from somebody who already stole it. Right. I mean, they're ripping off a tomb. Right. Right? I mean. And they're dead. What are they going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? What? You're not going to take their shoes? I mean, if you need shoes and somebody's been buried in shoes, what? It's a waste of shoes. I need the shoes. Let me have the shoes. You you're you're the, endor- just make sure you're endorsing just, grave robbery. I'm just, I'm just saying. Well, after a while. I mean, not like shoes would probably be bad. Okay. Opening up for some shoes would be bad. Mm-hmm. And especially new. Oh, how nice are the shoes? Some shoes well, can be quite expensive. Like if they were the Pope shoes? Because those always are very fancy. Pope shoes are fancy? I, th- I know Pope hats are fancy. Yeah, the shoes are pretty fancy too, and the mm. only reason why I know that is because of a drunken, yeah, drunken mess I was one Christmas Eve, uh, you know, uh, at the Vatican uh, with the Pope, and uh, ended up with <clears throat> me standing on a <clears throat> pew, pointing at his shoes, going, "Look at his shoes, man! His, his shoes are fancy." <laughs> wait, do we have was, a new story alert? Eh, we should probably wait. not dwell on that story. No, anyway, wait, I've never heard. heard this. I think we need to move on. <laughs> wait, no, no, we need to move but on I, here. <laughs> Is that a dream? You know, that was a real story. It's uh, not a not a not a not a proud moment of my life. No, it's Thursday, August second. This is the Glenn Beck program. But we can make it into a proud moment of your life right no, now. I don't think you can. It also involves uh, talking nuns out of their tickets uh, to uh, to midnight mass. Uh, you know, I was twenty. You know, it's maybe 25 and, uh, and maybe 45. No, no, oh, okay. no. I was definitely in my <laughs> okay, 20s. Okay. And uh, it's not one of the prouder moments of my life. Uh, and I was with a friend and uh, the story ends with a uh, with a very <laughs> terse phone call from his very Catholic father. Oh, uh, who was happening to watch Midnight Mass that year. From Chicago. And uh, he called. He called his son and said, was that you and Glenn standing on the chair pointing at the Pope? And 
All I remember was saying, no, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? <laughs> it was hey, very... It was, how do we... I don't want to hear anything else you're about to say. No, we got to go on to other things, too. We just have to go on to other things. Don't act like this is a responsible broadcaster thing to do. <laughs> you just don't want to tell the story. I, how have I never okay. heard this story oh. before? I don't know. I don't know. It's It's, you know, it's not one of those that you pull out like... Hey, I just won an award. <laughs> this, is, this is not one that you pull out of the bag. <sighs> so I was, uh, you want to do this or do you want to go? I mean, we have addicted to outrage to play. We go, we can only do one. What's it going to be? You know, you're trying to get out of it. And that's I'm just fine. saying. I'm I just mean, I saying. guess it's your personal no, story. I'm, you make the decision. I, I'll go either way. But I don't think there's a question here. I want to know what happened to you at the Vatican on television, apparently. Is there footage of this? Probably at the Vatican archives. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so it's, I don't know, the mid or late 80s. Uh, and um, probably 1989, I think. And uh, I uh, had gone over to do a USO thing, um, you know, on an aircraft carrier. And... Then I decided to take a few weeks off and just, uh, you know, just hang out in Italy and, and Germany and just kind of, you know, do what 20-year-olds do, I guess, you know, uh, mm-hmm. drink. And uh, so uh, I, uh, I stayed there. And, and this is really the beginning, I think, of my alcoholism, because if you travel Europe, especially Italy, Italy alone, and you discover how good red wine is, they serve it by the bottle. Mm-hmm. And so every meal is another bottle of red wine. <laughs> so uh, my friend uh, joins me in the last week, and it's uh, Christmas week. And um, <clears throat> and he's very Catholic. And um, and uh, so he says, you know, I really want to go to, 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 to Christmas Eve uh, Mass. And I said, well, I think you need a ticket for that. And we don't have tickets. And he's like, ah, crap. So we spent, you know, all Christmas Eve, you know, just drinking. And, uh, you know, and just kind of going around and just being, you know, uh, Christmas jovial right. Americans. Okay. Okay. And uh-huh. uh, so about nine o'clock, we're completely hammered. And he says, you want to go? You want to get in? And I'm like. To the mass. Yeah, we, we, I mean, we're in St. Peter's Square. It's packed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we can't, how are we going to get in? He's like. I have an idea. So he leaves. About 20 minutes later, he comes back, and he's like, I got him. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's, I got two tickets. It's like right up front. And I said, how did you get two tickets? And he said, I talked these two nuns out of, uh, out of their tickets. <laughs> I said, you did, you what? He, he said, to- no, I'm feeling bad now. I'm I'm hammered, and I'm feeling bad. I'm like, you shouldn't have talked to the nuns out of me. He's like, oh, they come all the time. They see the Pope all the time. This is our one chance to see the Pope. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Are you sure the nuns are okay? And he's like, absolutely, they're okay. And I'm like, okay, because if they feel bad, I'll feel bad. But if they don't feel bad, I'm going to see the Pope. <laughs> so we we go in. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you sit, and there's nothing to do. And you're like, this is really kind of slow. And then the Pope comes in, and the music starts. Everybody stands up, and it's very, usually very, very restrained. 
I would think it would be restrained. Yeah. Yes. But we decided we were we were because we were about five or ten people away from the aisle. And uh, the Pope was coming, and we couldn't see past the people that were there. So we got up. You wanted to solve a problem. Yeah. We got up on the little folding chairs. Oh, that no. Yeah. And stood on the folding chairs, and he started saying, it's the Pope. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe it's the Pope. Believe it's the Pope right there. And he's like, this is incredible. <laughs> and I said, look at it. Look, look at his shoes. Even his shoes are popish. Look at that. It was, well, they were. They were. They right. were like, you know, I don't even know anymore, but they were fancy shoes. They were like, I don't know, red and either velvet or something. And they had Pope signs or something on them. I don't know, but they were fancy shoes apparently. Cause that's all I really remember was like, look at his shoes. Were they blurry <sighs> to your eye? Was everything blurry to your eye at this point? No. For some reason I can see all of it. Unfortunately, <laughs> not from my perspective. Somehow or another, my memory is from like a bird's eye view. It's like God gave me a little extra gift. I'm going to make sure you see this the way I saw this. <laughs> okay, so you've now stood on a chair and pointed at the, the Pope's feet. And you think this is over at this point? Did they kick you out? Nothing happened? No, no, not exactly. Um, no, I mean, we, it was, I don't want to, you know, let's just say this two days later on the good side, two days later, we, we were flying home and we're walking down the streets of, of Rome and, you know, there's all these shops for the priests shop at, you know, and they have the cassocks and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're flying coach and my friend is a really good con man. And um, he said, you want to fly first class back? And I said, how are we going to do that? He's like, I got an idea. Come on, come oh, on no. with me. Oh, no. And so he, <laughs> we get to this store where it's all the, you know, stuff for, you know, bishops and stuff and i and i but, but to my credit i said no this is going too far and so we didn't do it um although we we he wanted to dress as a bishop to get moved yeah. up to first class yeah mm -hmm. yeah or just a couple of priests and i i i did i did, we didn't do it um uh, that's good that's a good choice glenn that was a good choice and then he, we 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 I wish I could tell you that the story ended with us in coach all the way back home. <laughs> but it doesn't. Oh my God. It doesn't end in in coach. And um I don't think I Ah, uh, we got on the plane and uh, uh my friend had to go to the bathroom. And as uh Peter was just about, you know, after the plane, you know, reaches altitude, um I, uh, I I hear an announcement uh, that I am uh, on my way home to get married 
uh, to the <laughs> love of my life who we uh, hadn't seen each other forever and had found each other in a in a very uh, you know, a very heartwarming way. And all the stewardesses just thought it was this the greatest story uh, ever. So please, everybody, just give a round of applause. Uh, and I was asked to come up with my friend and have <laughs> champagne in first class <laughs> on the way home. So, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yes, yes, uh, yes. It was very, uh, that's what happens when you're one with a Pope. That's what happens. I don't think you were one with the Pope. I'm Holy Thank you. Thank you for bringing that. I have to find this footage. If there's anyone at the Vatican listening, what year was this? I think 1989. 1989. If anyone has 1989 Christmas Eve Mass. And you'll see us. We were there. (laughs) We were there. I have to find this footage now. Okay. I no longer have any other career goals. All right. right. (laughs) I may not have a career. Here we go. American financing. Owning a home has never been easier. I told you in the past I was not a good guy. I mean, I've been very clear, I think. I've been very clear. Mm -hmm. I've made some mistakes. You have, and this is one I can't believe I didn't know about. Right. Okay. So anyway, uh, let me tell you about uh, American financing. If you want to buy a home uh, or you want to refi, You need American Financing. American Financing, they're going to find the right loan program for you. They do not work for the banks. They don't. They work for you. Nobody is on commission, so they don't get a piece of whatever they're trying to sell you. And that's the problem. The banks are trying to upsell you into a certain, you know, loan instrument. They're looking for the one that's right for you. American Financing, working for you now at AmericanFinancing.net, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, over 1,800 Google reviews. Find out yourself why these are the best in the business. AmericanFinancing.net. Be treated like a human being, treated like a person, not a number. Treated like a customer and not a consumer. 800-906-2440. They'll help you with the right thing for your home. 800-906-2440. It's AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Well, still, you just kind of blew this show all to hell. Um, it's the most important show we've done in years. <laughs> no, Somewhere, so. I got Josh holding in California. He's gonna. He's got some important stuff. We have uh, really important. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. have we have we have somebody to lynch as a mob today. I was interested in that. Yeah, I, I have still to do am. the lynch mob. But I mean, that. I just want to make sure that we understand that somewhere out there exists video of the 1989 or 1990 Vatican Christmas Eve mass. In which you not sure idiotically are standing sure on a chair and pointing at the not Pope. video of that. There, well, I looked up Pope shoes, by the way. Do a Google search for Pope shoes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, the uh, the papal slippers are made of red velvet or silk, and they are heavily decorated in a gold braid with a gold cross in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, chosen to uh, reflect the blood of Christ's own bloody feet as he was prodded and whipped and pushed uh, push along the uh, Via uh, Dolorosa on his way to the crucifixion. I don't think they really reflect Christ's bloody feet. They're nice, you know. Uh, yes, they are red. Um, and I just remember them being very impressed. You know, I am sartorial in nature, so... I'm not surprised. Believe me, the, the shocking part of the story is not the fact that you looked at the dude's shoes. Like, yeah. that seems very Glenn Beck-esque. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you were 
on video. I've gone through this entire career in front of the media, and no one has been able to unlock video of you at the mass pointing well, at his see, shoes and drunkenly yelling. As I was telling yelling. you this story just a few minutes ago, it really didn't occur to me that you would be pushing for the look for that video. It's interesting because I'm already coming up with a hashtag. Because I think this is something that that America can unite on. You know, we talk about. I, what I can... suddenly have a really throbbing headache. I'm not kidding. Just suddenly, just like right now, a gigantic throbbing headache is because there's a lot of researchers out there <clears throat> that let it uncover mm-hmm. uh, documents, videos, uh, pictures. I was making I... this whole thing up. It didn't. I mean, oh, I don't think that's true. Me. You know what? We can figure that out though. We don't need to. We don't you need to take your word me. for it. I tell tall tales. See, they have photos too, so we could probably find you in photos. As people, as uh-huh. as you mentioned to me earlier, you're mm-hmm. about what a third. I don't remember. I don't recall. On the left I, side, I if you're looking from the back, not recall. Mm-hmm. And you said about nine or ten seats in. I think was it where you described it. Yeah, and it, I was heavily intoxicated. I thought you said it didn't happen. I don't. In my imagination, I okay. was heavily intoxicated. I'm willing so. to take your, your your hashtag ideas to get this trending. How uh-huh. do we find the 1989 or 19... This is a long hashtag. 1989 <laughs> or 1990 Christmas Eve mass video at the Vatican. We need a, we need something, a catchy hashtag. Jeez, you know, it was even Pope John Paul. I am so embarrassed. It was Pope John yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul. Mm-hmm. I've seen pictures from the event, oh, uh, from the mass, and uh, I mean, it looks... It looks like the type of thing that you wouldn't want to stand up on a chair and, and, and drunkenly no, point at someone. No, it wasn't. It no, it really like wasn't. Type of I, I remember his father being very, very clear. Please tell me that was not my son standing on a chair as the Pope came in. That's when it all kind of went. And we realized there were cameras there. What what have we done as a society in which this video? Think about it. we criticize journalists all the time. How have they not uncovered this already? How how has a major journalistic organization not pulled up this video throughout your this entire run of you? Uh, you know, you were syndi- a syndicated because radio host until seventeen today, years ago. I apparently was very good at keeping the secret. <laughs> I don't even know how it came out. Now I don't know how we started down this, but everyone. You should forget this. These are things that did not happen. This is not the papal story you are looking for. <laughs> we have something very, very exciting. Uh, have you? Are you addicted to uh, outrage? Have you? Have you fed that addiction yet? Because we, we have something that I think is going to really just just feed the fire of outrage, right? Hit it, Sarah. Addicted to outrage. Yeah. So I love being addicted to outrage. It just doesn't get any better. So um, we haven't gotten somebody fired. Or, you know what, Sarah, do we do it? We need torches or a bonfire or something. So we might want to burn a book, too. Oh, good. All right. Thank you. It's been moments since we've forced someone out of their job. Or something right? they tweeted or whatever. Correct. So now I just don't know what to do here. Okay, uh, Sarah Jiang, she is uh, now on the Times editorial board, the New York Times. Okay, and uh, and she apparently might be joking, might be totally serious. I don't know. The the fire's getting a little. Can we throw? Yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. We need. I mean, it's got to be roaring a little bit. 
a little closer to the... There we go. Because we're talking about, you know, we're talking about a mob. Fire needs to be pretty big. Okay. So uh, she she's tweeted, uh, dumb AFing white people marking up the internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? Uh, she's tweeted, hashtag cancel white people. Uh, she says, uh, white people have stopped breeding. You'll all go extinct soon. This was my plan all along. Uh, she tweeted, I just realized why... It- Please throw some more books on the fire, Sarah. Please. Thank you. (laughs) I just realized why I can't stand watching Breaking Bad or Battlestar Galactica. The premise of both is just white people being miserable. Uh, White men are BS. No one cares about white. uh, No one cares about women. And you can't threaten anyone on the Internet except cops. Uh, No, wait. You you can threaten anyone on the Internet except cops. Uh, let's hmm. see. Oh, man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. Okay, so these are her tweets. Now, if you were to... The one way to tell if it's uh, racist or not is always to just change the color. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine some of those with the word black instead of white? And no. then what would happen to someone who tweeted that? Pat, do you have another book? Throw on the fire, please. All right. Just throw it. Thank you. What'd you throw into the... Uh, uh, your latest book. No, 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 Wait, no, I have no, a galley no, of addicted yeah. outrage. Yeah, I got a galley. No, 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 that's, no yeah. I don't think you understand what? how this works. It's pretty <laughs> long. It's like 468 yeah. pages. So I think, it's going to so burn for a while. Be, yeah, okay. it's going to burn all for right. a while. Whoa. Well, okay. Uh, all right. There goes so common, common sense. I just need to know. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, you're not supposed to burn my books. You're supposed to be burn books that disagree oh. with what we believe in. Oh, okay. All right. Here's an I inconvenient book. Here it goes. Here's what? <laughs> an inconvenient book. Uh, Again, it's my book. All right. Oh, liars. So Arguing all right. with idiots. All right. All right. Enough with the books. <laughs> Blow the fire out. <laughs> all right. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if we're supposed to be a mob mm-hmm. and get her fired today. If we're supposed Do we know what to- she does? What does she do? She's on the editorial board of the New York Times. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we don't know if we should get her fired. We don't know if we should just start taking things out of context and calling her horrible names. Uh, you know, some would say, stupid tweet. Uh, the New York Times- You know, they knew what they were doing when they hired her. That's who the New York Times is. And you just move on with your life. You know, Mm -hmm. but I don't really like that one. I don't either. Yeah. It doesn't make me feel good. No, it doesn't. Not at all. You know, it'd make me feel good is she got fired and we burned her at the stake. (laughs) At the stake? Yeah. Do we have to Uh use my books? No, we don't have to. No, I think we do. I think think we do. Okay. I think we should. All right. Stu says we have to, so. I'm with well, him. There we go. We didn't need to start it. We don't even know where she lives or anything. Yet. I have a lot of these books. I just need to throw wow. them in there. Wow. Okay. Because uh, that, that was what makes us feel good. If we are addicted to outrage, truly, uh-huh. we have to feed that addiction. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly can't overlook someone with terrible opinions now and we just could, move on with our lives. We could. I just, I'm throwing this out here. We could just say, I got better things to do with my time. I don't really care. Of course, the New York Times has somebody like that writing for them. And you know what we should do with that information? Not read it. Or maybe read it and make fun of it. Right. We could do that. We could do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm just pitching for that. I don't feel good enough doing that. You don't feel good enough. I don't feel good enough. Mm -mm. (sighs) 
gets us no visceral no. release. Right. You know, we have no. Right. We, but don't you think it would be better if we all just kind of were like, eh. So she's, you know, uh, a, a dumb racist that's writing for the Times. I'm glad I have this information. I'll know to avoid all of her, all of her, you know, her rantings. I, I know if I see her name on an opinion, I'll know, well, this is coming from a racist. So I, I just won't read it. I don't. Nah, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't, work. It doesn't seem that right. Doesn't no, let's go it the just other way. Work. Let's go the other I way. I am really trying to. I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm. What's her name again? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. Whatever her name is, <laughs> she, needs she to knows burn who at the she stake. is. And I'm. I'm in here <laughs> pitching for you, but. Well, it's like uh, we were talking to Kevin Williamson this week. He was in, and he did his first interview, uh, by the way, uh, since he was fired from the Atlantic. Right? Yeah, I think it was yes. his first one where he really talked about it in depth. First, did they know who first he was interview at all before they hired him? <laughs> Apparently not. Did they know? Yeah, no. He, was? he said he talked because I did the first interview with him this week since he left the Atlantic. Yeah, and so this is the first time he's talked about it. And uh, he, I, I, that was one of the first questions I asked. Did they know? And he was I mean, like, oh, yeah. He said, I even warned them. I said, they're going to take stuff out of context, and they're going to go crazy. And he's like, nah, we're the Atlantic. It's not going to happen. And then it happened. Yeah. And we were like a, you know, what, a week later, 11 days. No, like he was, he was uh, three days in. Yeah, did, wasn't he fired before he wrote his first thing for him? I think he wrote one thing. One. Did he write? Yeah, okay. he wrote one something for about Roseanne. It was yeah. the only thing he actually got out. But as he said, in as you were talking to him, you know, they uh, the, the the outrage mob got what they wanted and instead they'll have to read what I write at another venue instead of the one, instead of yeah. the Atlantic. Like what what do they even get? You know, it's not like the old days where maybe you could shame someone out of the New York Times and then they'd be nowhere and have no career. Like this person, if you shame them out of the New York Times, is just going to go somewhere else and write the same mm-hmm. stuff somewhere else. No, hang on. You let the fire go out. Oh, yeah. No, here's, here's a copy of the uh, it, Agenda 21. Right. Hold on, let me start this in there. That. <laughs> Again, I mean, it's not going to happen, you know, a if we sweater. burn her at the stake. <laughs> Seems like a Christmas sweater needs to go on there. <laughs> Wait, that's the real one, too. That's the one my mom made for me. Yeah, not even the book. <laughs> this is fun. I like this game. Don't you? Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. Fun. Who else? Fun. Who else? Is there anything else we can burn at the stake or any books we can burn or ban or anything else? Oh, there's got to be. There's got to be. We could burn Jim Acosta at the stake. Ah, oh, let's do that. Mm, let's do that. Socks. <laughs> Ooh, don't stop. Blow the. <laughs> do mm. not. Say, that will cause violence. <laughs> say somebody not, sucks right. That's do true. Do not. Mm, yeah. I worry. Yeah. I worry about people's safety when you say things like that. <laughs> Go ahead, Sarah. Start the fire again. So. <laughs> now we can talk about burning them at the stake, but don't say they suck. Oh, oh, stop. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. I'd... Stop it. Okay. Okay. We cannot. I'm going to ask you to put your torch down if you use that kind of language again. <laughs> Go ahead, Sarah. Thank you. Life isn't worth living without the torch. <laughs> it's it's really, really not. not. I so. think we're better as a nation. With torches and pitchforks in our hands. When we yes. can execute people in a mob sort of way for very little reason or none at all yeah that's when it's fun yeah that's what it's fun i got a uh, i got a i found a really great it's probably my favorite tweet i i haven't i haven't tweeted this out again or retweeted it i i i i have to um it's this it's this i i got this and now it only had six likes okay <clears throat> 
But uh, it says a fitting end to fear mongering of Glenn Beck's manifesto of closed mindedness. And it shows my book being burned. <laughs> but you're closed minded. <laughs> but I'm closed minded. Yeah. You're actually yeah. burning a book. Oh, my gosh. And uh, you are amazing. saying that I am closed minded. I this is I, I saw this the other day and I thought this is the best. If this doesn't say it all. It literally says a fitting end to fear-mongering Glenn Beck's manifesto of closed-mindedness. And what is that? That's <laughs> that's an inconvenient a, book. An inconvenient book, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And they're and they're literally burning my book. That is incredible. I mean, we got to fight fascism. Quick, get the torches. <laughs> Pat, what are you leading today? What's uh, what's the outrage du jour for you today? Uh, well, I've, I've got some interesting stuff on uh, Alex Jones again. He uh, claims that Barack Obama has sex with 10 dudes a day. Wait, stop just, the music. Just the 10? Stop the music. Just 10. I mean, it's not like it's 100. I mean, this is a literal Cialis silly. commercial right yeah. here. I mean, I don't yeah. know how. I mean, Barack, how old is Barack now? He's like 58. 58, 10 times a day. That's, times I don't day. know what he's doing. Whatever pill he's taking, yeah. that's impressive. Right? <laughs> right? It's also so does he does he have any evidence of that? Well, he oh. didn't. If he does, he didn't share any wow. of it. But has he used the tenth letter of the alphabet? Like Donald Trump was using, you know, seventeen, which the seventeenth letter in the alphabet is Q, Q which means. Right. So what is the tenth? A B C Has he used a J word? Jobs. Think about how many times he used the word. Oh job. my gosh! But he has. He was oh signaling ten guys a day. <laughs> ten guys a day. What? <laughs> I mean, it just from the- is this new or is this an old? It's it's certainly new to me. I've never heard the claim before. I've, no, no, I've, I meant from Alex John. I don't. I don't think he's. No, I don't think I've heard that. Either, no, this is new. So. Yeah, I think this was yesterday. Hmm. So, so well, it, so he's learning yeah. his lesson from all the lawsuits. Yes, yes, he's got, <laughs> yes. It. He's, he's got it. He's got it. All right, thanks, Pat. Yep. Uh, Pat will have all of the details uh, and possibly pictures of the ten dudes a day coming up in just a few minutes. Goldline is our sponsor this half hour. They have an amazing new product. It's from the Royal Canadian uh, Mint. Um, you know, and we, we talked about uh, gold and having gold as a like a credit card that you could keep and you could, you know, you could give to your um, college age kids or whatever. If you were traveling, it would be able to get you get you back uh, home if there was an emergency. But gold is so darn expensive now. And if things really, really went crazy, you just I mean, you couldn't break up, uh, you know, a quarter ounce of gold. It would be way too much. You're going to need to deal in silver if things ever, you know, God forbid this ever happens. Um, and so we went to the Canadian Mint. And the Canadian Mint has uh, has made this. It's a bar. It's about the size of a credit card. And you can take this and you can actually break it up into smaller pieces. Some of them are like chiclet sizes. Uh, and there's there's uh, 10 120 ounce bars, five one tenth ounce bars, and four one quarter ounce bars. So let's just say everything goes to hell in a handbasket. How are you going to barter? Gold right now, uh, one of these bars, I don't even know how much they are, but they're they're not expensive. 
um, and you can keep it. And if things go to hell in a handbasket, silver will go up. And this is all um, legal tender from the Canadian mint. And it's solid silver. Call Goldline and find out all about it. It's really, I, I think, one of the real smart things you can do. And it can be kept into your precious metals IRA, etc., etc. But uh, call them. It's called the Maple Flex Bar. Just call them now at Goldline at 1-866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE. They're waiting for you uh, right now. There's really good people that answer the phones there. At Goldline, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck. No, it's one of those things. You'll you'll forever, you'll be asked, where were you? What were you thinking when you heard the first time that Apple was worth a trillion dollars? And you'll say, I don't know. I have no idea. But this is that moment. This is that moment. And it's a glorious one, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. Yeah. Actually, it did cross a trillion dollars. Now, of course, that's just a round number that means nothing. Mm-hmm. But it is mildly interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, by the time <laughs> you have that moment in the future when you say, where were you when Apple cost a trillion dollars, you'll say to yourself, by the way, you still owe me that trillion dollars for the lunch last week. Right. Uh, I mean, it's about right. how much that will feel like yes. at that time. But yes. it is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. I mean, a trillion dollar market cap for a company uh, that makes phones and cables that are annoying. And uh, I, Please don't. Do not get me started. No, Why are you, you aren't you the person? Didn't you tell me one time that you weren't appreciative of their cable length, was it? Can you fill me in on the story nope, there? I cannot. <laughs> I want you to be addicted. You're doing a book addicted to outrage, and I want to see you outraged nope. at the, at the uh-uh. cord that nope. brings the power, the electricity that powers your amazing oh, I can't believe it. Don't, I'm phone. not falling into this trap. I've already fallen into one of your spider webs earlier today. <laughs> By the way, we have not yet uncovered the video of Glenn Beck in 1989 or 1990 at the Vatican Christmas Eve Mass standing on a chair and pointing at the Pope's shoes. Apparently, this video does exist. We're hearing rumors of some pictures uh, from uh, Michael Opelka, which I really want to see. There are some pretty exciting uh, developments I'm never here. going to be able to go to the Vatican again. Last time I was at the Vatican... They allowed me to go up onto the scaffolding to where they were they're redoing, you know, Michelangelo's. Yeah. Okay. I was up on the scaffolding. And, uh, you know, when you're up there and you're that close, I mean, I'm standing right there. And uh, they, you know, they, they, I, all I remember is somebody just saying, don't touch it. And, and I'm like, well, you shouldn't let me up on the scaffolding this close. You touched you touched the Michael. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Have you ever touched it? Do you I know, know anyone who's ever touched the Michelangelo ceiling at the Vatican? Me, I have. Well, Michelangelo. But other what than did that, I say? Well, you said, do you know anyone else? And well, Michelangelo. well, Michelangelo and the people with their snooty, you know, cotton swabs who were up there too. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have a cotton don't- swab and a white jacket. Don't change the subject. This video exists. We need to find it. As a country, we can all unite to find this video and embarrass Glenn. All right. Okay. Hey, today uh, you're going to see some uh, college professors, some uh, uh, elementary and high school teachers come to Jesus on the TV show tonight. You don't want to miss this.